the servant king. It was Passover, the time when God's people remembered how God had rescued them from being slaves in Egypt. Every year they killed a lamb and ate it. The lamb died instead of us, they would say. But this Passover, God was getting ready for an even greater rescue. Jesus and his friends were having the Passover meal together in an upstairs room. But Jesus' friends were arguing. What about? <laughs> they were arguing about stinky feet. Stinky feet? Yes, that's right. Stinky feet. Now, the thing about feet back then was that people didn't wear shoes. They only wore sandals, which might not sound unusual, except that the streets in those days were dirty. And I don't mean just dusty dirty. I mean really stinky dirty, with all those cows and horses everywhere. Oh, you can imagine the stuff on the street that ended up on their feet. So, anyway, someone had to wash away the dirt. But it was a dreadful job. Who on earth would ever dream of volunteering to do it? Only the lowliest servant. I am not the servant, Peter said. Nor am I, said Matthew. Quietly, Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, picked up a basin of water, knelt down and started to wash his friend's feet. You can't, Peter said. He didn't understand about Jesus being the servant king. If you don't let me wash away the dirt, Peter, Jesus said, you can't be close to me. Jesus knew that what people needed most was to be clean on the inside. All the dirt on their feet was nothing compared to the sin inside their hearts. Then wash me, Lord, Peter said, tears filling his eyes. All of me. One by one, Jesus washed everyone's feet. I am doing this because I love you. Jesus explained. Do this for each other. Now, one of Jesus' friends had made a bad plan. No one else knew what the bad plan was, but Jesus knew, and so did Judas. Judas was going to help the leaders capture Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Go on, Judas. Jesus said. And Judas got up from the meal, left the room, and walked out into the night. Then Jesus picked up some bread and broke it. He gave it to his friends. He picked up a cup of wine and thanked God for it. He poured it out and shared it. My body is like this bread. It will break, Jesus told them. This cup of wine is like my blood, it will pour out. But this is how God will rescue the whole world. My life will break and God's broken world will mend. My heart will tear apart and your hearts will heal. Just as the Passover lamb died, so now I will die instead of you. My blood will wash away all of your sins 
and you'll be clean on the inside, in your hearts. So whenever you eat and drink, remember, Jesus said, I've rescued you. Jesus knew it was nearly time for him to leave the world and to go back to God. I won't be with you long, he said. You are going to be very sad, but God's helper will come, and then you'll be filled up with a forever happiness that won't ever leave. So don't be afraid. You're my friends, and I love you. Then they sang their favourite song and walked up to their favourite place, an olive garden. Three-week series called The Story, looking at the God's story, not just our story, God's story, from Genesis to Revelation, for we find our identity out of who God is and what he has done. And this morning, this past week, what you've been reading is about Jesus entering into Jerusalem for the very last time. And as he entered Jerusalem, he made the journey for this last week of his life. And what you read was all the way through his crucifixion and his death. We think this is such an important stretch of Scripture that we're actually going to look at what you read this morning, next Sunday morning, and on Good Friday, the 15th of April, where we will gather right here to worship together again in that Easter weekend. Friends, this is important. This, is ma this matters. In fact, one-third of the Gospels are committed to the very last week in the life of Jesus. So we think it's important to linger here just a little bit. And this morning, we're going to be looking at, focusing on, what Jesus did in the upper room. You remember that he gathered with his disciples, and they celebrated the Passover meal together. But then Jesus instituted something we're going to be celebrating this morning together. As the family of God, he instituted what we call Holy Communion, or the Lord's Supper. And this morning, we want to focus on that. You remember that when, as we saw in the video, Jesus came into the room. He was the last one to arrive. What was customary in that day is that the first person who arrived in the room would customarily wash the feet, clean the feet of everybody who came after them. Even though it was customary, nobody wanted to do that, as you saw in that very poignant picture in the video. And so what happened? Jesus enters, and there are 12 sets of dirty feet. And Jesus takes a, a towel, and he wraps himself with the towel, and he gets down on his hands and knees, and he begins to wash the dirty feet of one disciple after another. Imagine that. Friends, this is God in human flesh, washing the feet of just people like you and me. What does that say about God? It says a lot about him, doesn't it? We see the humility of Jesus. We see the servant heart of Jesus. Peter is offended 
because he understands to some degree who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And he says, Lord, you will not wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, then you can have nothing to do with me. Now, why did he say that? Because Jesus was going to the cross. He was going to do something Peter never anticipated. Peter never expected. He's going to the cross to be sacrificed. He's going to the cross to die a thief's death. He's going to the cross to die a horrific death. And Peter, and what Jesus understands is that if Peter is going to receive Jesus as his Savior and his Lord, then he must humble himself. He must, he must be willing in humility to accept the death and the sacrifice of Jesus for himself. For if, if Peter in that moment can't receive Jesus washing his feet, how would he ever receive by faith what Jesus was going to do on the cross? For you see, to come to faith in Jesus is to humble ourselves, is to acknowledge that we have need, is to acknowledge that we need a Savior, is to acknowledge that we need our lives to be transformed, is to acknowledge that we need a Lord who will stand over our lives and who will lead us and guide us. It, to humble ourselves means that we are willing to lay down our lives, to lay down our desires and our dreams and our ambitions in order to live for the, for the Christ, for the Messiah. And so Peter says, then wash all of me. Wash all of me. Friends, later we're going to be coming to the table of the Lord. It's an act in very many ways. It's an act of humility in which, which we are celebrating, acknowledging, encountering Jesus. And in a new and fresh way, we are saying, Jesus, thank you for your death for me. I humble myself before you. I receive what you have done for me in humility and in obedience and in joy. Jesus, we're going to walk together through the Lord's Supper. I want to just kind of explain what this is all about as we will celebrate together at the end of our service. So what do we see here in the Lord's Supper? Well, it's quite remarkable to me and no accident that Jesus would institute Holy Communion as a sacrament, that he would call us to celebrate communion together each and uh, many times during each and every year. And he did it on the very night that he was celebrating Passover with his disciples. I want you to hear as we read in verses 17 to 19 of Matthew 26. Listen to what we read. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. What is the festival of unleavened bread? What it is is part of the, of the Passover celebration. It's something that the Jews instituted as part of the process of celebrating Passover. <clears throat> On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So they're anticipating 
The Passover is coming. Jesus, what preparations do you want us to make that we may celebrate the Passover together? Jesus replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, my appointed time is near. My appointed time is near. Now the disciples didn't understand what that meant. We have the advantage of looking back. They were looking forward and they didn't fully grasp or understand what it meant that Jesus was the Messiah. And so what we see is that Jesus says, my appointed time is coming. What is his appointed time? It's the purpose that he came. The cross. You see, friends, he wasn't a victim. He knew what was coming. And at any moment, he could have avoided the entire scene. He could have slipped out of Jerusalem. I often say that it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for his Father in heaven, his obedience to his Father in heaven, and his love for you, his love for me, that held him on the cross. He says, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. And indeed, they celebrated the Passover meal together. Now I said to you that I think it's no accident that this was the very moment where Jesus institutes communion, the Lord's Supper. Because there is an incredible connection between the Old Testament celebration of the Passover and what we celebrate today, which is the Lord's Supper. Most of us do not celebrate the Passover because the Lord's Supper has replaced the Passover. So what are these connections? Well, first of all, the Passover is the great event of the Old Testament. So significant, so important that God instituted the Passover meal, the Passover celebration as a way to remember what God had done for the people. Because God knows that we are prone to forget. And there's something very powerful if you've never received or been part of a Seder meal, a Passover meal. It's incredibly powerful. For there are readings and there are things that you do to experience what God did in that great event of the Old Testament. For example, you have... You have horseradish. Now, I don't know how many of you love to just eat horseradish right out of the jar. But you eat horseradish because it's sharp. It's, it attacks the, the taste buds. And it's a reminder of how difficult, how challenging it was for God's people living as slaves in Egypt. They drink water with salt because the salt becomes a reminder of the tears of God's people you actually enter into the story as much as you possibly can well God on that night Jesus would institute holy communion because when we receive the bread and we receive the cup we are entering in to the greatest act in all of history the hinge point of all of history is what Jesus did for us on the cross and then three days later when he would rise again from the dead. 
And so that we would never forget, Jesus instituted communion. And through eating the bread and receiving the cup, drinking the juice or the wine, we are entering into the story of what Jesus has done for us that we would never forget. And not only that we would never forget, but that the table would become this powerful way that we celebrate together what God has done for us and we experience the incredible presence and ministry of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us as we receive the bread and we drink from the cup. There's, there are so many connections between Passover and the story of what Jesus would do on the cross. You see, in the Old Testament, the Passover was celebrating that while the people were living as slaves, powerless to change their circumstances, powerless to be free from the Egyptian burden, they were slaves, they were powerless to change their circumstance. And God did what only God could do. He saved them. He saved them from the power of the Egyptian government. But now Jesus would come and he would do something very unique. He would do something very powerful. He would do for us what we could never do for ourselves. You see, the human condition is that we are living as slaves to sin. We are powerless to change our circumstances. We are powerless to change our condition. We cannot be free on our own. We can only be free if God would act. We cannot come to God by ourselves. We cannot experience forgiveness by ourselves. We would need God to intervene. And indeed, God did intervene. He intervened with the life of his son sacrificed on the cross for us so that we who believe in the name of Jesus are no longer slaves to sin, but we are now children and servants of God. Friends, the great event of the Old Testament was just a picture of the great thing that God would do in Christ. We were slaves, but now we are free. And we celebrate that when we receive communion. We come and we celebrate the sacrifice of Christ. In the great Passover, the Egyptian pharaoh would not let God's people go. They had built their economy on the, on the backs of these Jewish slaves. And he would not free them. He would not let them go. And so God, through Moses, brought, brought one thing after another, one plague after another upon all of Egypt, and still the Pharaoh would not relent until it came to the, very, to the tenth and very last plague, the death of the firstborn male in every household of Egypt, except, except for those households who would trust the word of God, who would offer a sacrifice to God, would take the blood of that sacrifice and would put it on the doorpost of their house. And so that night when the angel of death came, the angel of death passed over every home that had the blood of the sacrifice. 
But in those that did not, the firstborn male of that home was taken that night. What we know from the Gospels and from the New Testament is that because the blood of Jesus, because we believe and put our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, we will never taste death. Now our bodies, our earthly tents will grow old, they will get sick, they will die. But that is not true death. True death, friends, is eternal separation from God. True death is to be forever at a distance from God. And so Jesus solved that issue right there on the cross. For on the cross, he took our sin upon himself so that by faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven. By faith in Jesus, we will live forever in the kingdom of God. We will never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We celebrate that together. And then, once the Pharaoh released, released the Jews, they were led on a journey. God led them by day and by night. He led them. And in the same way, once we come to faith in Jesus, he becomes the good shepherd of our lives who leads and guides us in our journey and one day takes us home to be with him forever and ever in heaven. That is why Jesus chose the Passover to give institute for us the Lord's Supper. It replaces the Lord's Supper. Here's a second thing that I want you to see, and that's the meaning of the Lord's Supper. And I want to go through this quickly, but I want you to hear these words. They're so powerful. They come from Matthew 26, and here we read, beginning in verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to his disciples, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is explaining to us the meaning of communion. Let me just briefly describe what communion is. Jesus says that we are proclaiming his death. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When I receive the bread, when I receive the cup, I am proclaiming that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. He died on the cross that I might be forgiven. He died on the cross that I might have life. Jesus died. Now, why was this so important? It was particularly important in that first century because nobody's idea of the Savior, nobody's idea of the Christ, nobody's idea of the Messiah at that time was that he would die, particularly die on a cross. 
And so in the first century, there were those that didn't like that. And so they were trying to teach that Jesus really never died. And Jesus never really suffered. Because they couldn't accept that the Messiah would die and the Messiah would suffer on a cross like a common thief or a common criminal. Jesus knew that. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns, until he comes. Friends, when I remember the death of Jesus in receiving communion, what I remember is how serious my sin is. I remember in the midst of justifying my sin, in the midst of looking at my neighbors and saying, well, they're worse than me, I remember that my sin is serious business. My sin matters. So much so that Jesus allowed nails to be driven through his wrists and his feet. He allowed himself in that moment to receive all of the ugliness of our lives the brokenness of our lives. He allowed himself to receive all of that in that moment and to die on the cross, to suffer on the cross, to be brutalized by the Roman guards. He allowed himself to endure all of that because sin is serious business. And I remember when I received the bread I remember how his body was abused. When I received the cup, I remember how he allowed his blood to be, to be spilled for me. At any moment, he could have called on the angels of the Lord to save him, but he refused to do it. I remember that my sin is serious business. But I also remember I am so loved. I am so incredibly loved. Who would, else would do that for me? Who else would choose to die in my place? Who would do that for me? I remember that. We also read on and we see that we participate in the benefits of Christ's death. We participate for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I remember that I am forgiven everything. Not just those things that aren't so bad. I'm forgiven of everything. As far as the east is from the west, so is your sin from me, declares the Lord. His blood, his death is sufficient to deal with the problem of my sin. And he sets me free to now be his son, his child. I made a list of just a few of the, th the benefits. As I said, an affirmation of Christ's love for me. An affirmation that Christ's death is all I need for forgiveness of sin as I appropriate it to my life by faith. By believing that Jesus died for me. By believing that I need a savior. Believing that his death has brought forgiveness. The benefit of the affirmation that I belong to God for an eternity. There is a forward aspect 
a looking forward aspect to communion. Where not only am I celebrating what God has done, but I'm celebrating that he's coming back again one day. And that I will enjoy one day, I will sit at the table of God himself. And so will you. And we will have a feast together unlike anything we've ever celebrated together. There is a forward perspective to communion. Jesus said that. Also, an affirmation that one day, that one day, that one day, we will sit at the king's table. An affirmation that I no longer need to hide from God. I'm forgiven. I can come into the presence of the holy of holies. I can come into the presence of the living God. I no longer need to run. I no longer need to hide. I can let God, I can open my life completely to him and to know that he accepts me as I am. He forgives me, but he also calls me to something greater. I affirm that I can know God for myself. Not just knowing about him, I can know him for myself. I can know his love. I can know his faithfulness. I can know his leading and guiding. I can know the light that he is in my life. I can know all of that, encounter all of that. I can know his justice. I can know all of that for myself as I am in relationship with him. God sent his son into the world, not just so that we go to heaven, but so that we may know God now and forevermore. The heart of God, and we see this over and over again in the Old Testament. He says, I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. Seek me, and you will find me, God said, when you seek me with all of your heart. And I affirm that when I receive communion, that God has opened that door through the sacrifice of Jesus that this may happen. We read on, and we see that, that we receive spiritual nourishment. What do I mean by that? As reformed Christians, we do not believe that this is actually the body or actually the blood of Jesus. But we also don't believe that we're just here to remember. What we believe is that Christ is present in such a way that he is ministering to us through the Holy Spirit through these elements. That we are communing with God through faith in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. We believe that through communion, God is ministering to us. That Jesus is ministering to us and he is sealing us to himself. He is renewing that commitment that we have made to him. And he is promising through his presence that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Friends, Christ is present. We don't believe we're just remembering. We believe that God is doing something through communion that is unique, that is powerful. We read on and we see that we also, through communion, we celebrate the unity of believers. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread, the one Christ. Friends, we are family. When we receive communion, we are reminded we are family. 
We are brothers and sisters together. Your life matters to me. My life should matter to you. We are family. We're not just like family. We are family. God is our father. And we are brothers and sisters together. For those of us who are men, we are a prince in the kingdom of God. For those of you who are women, you are a princess in the kingdom of God. You are royalty. You are saints because Christ died for you. You are a saint. It's an amazing reality. And we celebrate all of that. And remember all of that as we come to the table of the Lord. I had a dear brother come to me this morning and a beloved brother in our church family. And he said to me, you know what I'm really excited about about communion this morning? And I said, what's that? Because there's so much to be excited about. He said that I get to take it again with my brothers and sisters. You know what? When we were having, not being able to meet together for a while, I missed that. I missed not receiving communion as family because that's how it's intended. We receive it together as God's people because our relationships matter. How we treat each other matters. It matters because we are the body of Christ together. We look on, and the third thing I want you to see is that we are to receive communion in a worthy manner. We are to receive communion in a worthy manner. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. We read this. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. Well, that's serious business, isn't it? So what does it mean? What does it mean when he says that we are to receive the bread and the cup in a worthy manner? Well, let me just share a couple of things as I as I looked in deeply into this issue, I think it means that we don't come to the table without engaging our mind and heart. As best as we can, and we are sinful people, but as best we can, we want to focus our attention on what we are doing. I try to prepare. Now, this week was easier, but I try to prepare before I come to the table of the Lord to reflect on what it means that Christ died for me. What it means that I'm receiving the bread and the cup. That spiritually I am preparing myself. Also coming, it means that we, we, we receive it in an unworthy manner when we come to the table without really understanding what we're doing. And this is why we say that children, until parents believe that their child understands what communion is and understands and, and has saving faith, that we ask children not to receive the bread or the cup. We ask, this is the table of the Lord is the one thing that we do as a church that is for Christians. Because if we're not a believer in what Jesus did, we are not receiving it in a worthy manner. What does it mean that we receive communion in an unworthy manner? It's coming to the table, as I mentioned, without faith in Jesus, but it's coming to the table without examining myself without repenting of my sin. It's coming to the table without thinking 
about the reality of my sin that led to the cross and repenting of my sin and renewing myself to seek to live a life that honors Jesus. I want to close before we come to the table. I want to close with this story. Many of you have heard me share about Nabil Qureshi, um, a guy that, an amazing follower of Jesus, just died a few years ago in his 30s of cancer. He was a, a, a Muslim who converted to Christianity. He has written a couple of amazing books that if you haven't read his stuff, you have to read it. Nabil Qureshi with a Q. An amazing, amazing man. But he, in one of his books, he shares this. He had a resolutely Muslim, he calls it resolutely Muslim friend named Sahar, who was attracted to parts of Christianity but couldn't accept the idea of God becoming a human being. On one occasion, she honestly asked, how can you believe Jesus is God if he was born through the birth canal of a woman and that he had to use the bathroom? Aren't these things beneath God? Maybe some of you have thought that. Qureshi affirmed her questions and then asked her one in, in turn. Sahar, let's say that you are on your way to a very important ceremony and are dressed in your finest clothes. You are about to arrive just in time, but then you see your daughter drowning in a pool of mud. What do you do? Let her drown and arrive looking dignified or rescue her, but arrive at the ceremony covered in, much blood, uh, in, mud, in mud? Her response was matter of fact, of course I would jump in the mud and save her. Nuancing the question more, Qureshi asked her, let's say there were others with you. Would you send someone else to save her or would you save her yourself? She responded, if she is my daughter, how could I send anyone else? They would not care and love her like I do. I would go myself, definitely. And then Qureshi said, if you, being human, love your daughter so much that you're willing to lay aside your dignity to save her, how much more can we expect God, if he is our loving father, to lay aside his majesty to save us? That's the table of the Lord. And in that moment, Sahar gave her life to Jesus. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for this moment. We are blessed and honored to gather together at the table. Lord, we seek in the best way that we can to have our hearts prepared. But we know, Lord, none of us will ever be perfect. None of us will ever do it completely right. But Jesus, you know that, and that's why you came. As we receive the elements today, we pray that by the power of your presence, the Holy Spirit, that you would minister to every person here, that through the bread, through the cup, they would know that they are sealed to you by faith in you that you will never leave them or forsake them, that you love them. You love them. What more could you do? Minister to us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.